You are entering the Freedom Hut. There is no second spike. Public health is the new climate change. Media rallies against Trump rallies. Court heard General Flynn's appeal today. J.K. Rowling believes women are real. And who's actually going to end up stealing this election? This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. America, great here, great America. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to Buck Sexton Show, everyone. Thank you so much for being here. My, oh my, I had... I had quite a morning. We, we have a lot to get to today. I, I want to dive into what I have been predicting on this show for a while now. You knew it would happen. You knew it was just a function of time. The second spike discussion. We went from the, the second wave. Now it's a spike because that sounds scarier. Just in time for Trump rallies. Oh, what, what a surprise. Who could have imagined that such a thing would happen? But now I, I have to tell you, uh, I spent my morning listening to the oral arguments in the General Flynn case. Now, this may sound a little bit like, oh, come on, how, how interesting could that be? Oh, no, it was fascinating. I was sitting there drinking my Black Rifle coffee and listening to the oral arguments in, in D.C. at the D.C. Uh, Circuit Court of Appeals. And sure enough, one thing became very clear. There is no principle or institution that liberals that the left, the Democrats are unwilling to tear down. There's no institution or principle they will not destroy for just a few sweet moments of hashtag resistance glory. Doesn't sound like the Flynn case is going to be resolved by the appeals court. I could be wrong on that. That's a prediction. We'll have to see. But at this stage, it doesn't seem to me like that's likely because of what was said and the arguments that were being made. And let's just be clear that, that to continue the case against Flynn, the libs here, in this case, Judge Sullivan, his amicus buddy, former Judge Gleason, and uh, Beth Wilkinson, the lawyer on behalf of Judge Sullivan. Now you got lawyers, hi- you, you got judges hiring lawyers to make a case for them that the government isn't making the prosecutorial branch and that the defense has already agreed with the government the case should be dropped. But now we're watching a federal judge step in and push for the case to continue on his own. Oh, no, they're saying it's just it's just to get more advice on the situation. This is the abuse of the process. And the process is very much the punishment to continue the case against General Flynn at this stage. The libs are relying on bad faith, transparently stupid positions. And they're extending a federal prosecution of a man for months after the government has dropped the case, all in order to amuse a judge who has said bizarre things in this case in the past, including accusing Flynn of treason. And we're supposed to believe that this is not a distortion of Article 3 of the Constitution, No, my friends, the process is the punishment. That is the whole point here. The argument, while a lot of complexity talked about and there's a lot a lot of uh, citing of precedent, the argument boils down to some of the judges on the appeals court are saying, well, we should at least allow Sullivan. There are three judges hearing this. We should at least allow Sullivan 
the opportunity to do the obviously right thing here in a month. So let's not let's not get too hasty. The clear counterargument to that is why hasn't he already done the obvious thing, which is the motion to dismiss should be granted. This case should be done, gaveled over. Flynn should walk out a free man with no conviction on his record. Nothing. Why delay? Oh, because they want to have the opportunity to poke at the Trump administration because the judge here realizes that he'll be vilified by the left, by the Dems, the libs. Oh, my gosh. Good heavens. If you were to have Joe Biden win the next election, this judge might find himself on the wrong side of an IRS audit. Who knows the ways that the libs will try to exact revenge upon him for not finishing off the case against General Flynn. Let's all remember here, this is a case that is a clear ambush, was a clear ambush by the FBI and the DOJ. We have all the evidence we need to come to that conclusion right now. That is what the Department of Justice has said. But this is a, this is a recurring theme with the left. If the Supreme Court rules in their favor... It is a sacrosanct institution that is beyond reproach, and anyone who does not see it that way is a terrible person. If the Supreme Court rules against the libs, maybe we should stack the court. It's, it's politicized. Oh, I don't trust those conservative judges. It's all a sham. And this is, the, this is the way they are with elections, the way they are with courts, the way they are with the Department of Justice and its prosecution decisions. The decision to prosecute can't be changed. Why? Oh, because you had a special counsel that determined that General Flynn lied to the FBI in the ambush interview entirely built upon false premises, trying to take out an incoming national security advisor because the Obama administration and the foreign policy fools around him didn't like it, didn't like Flynn. Didn't like that Trump won. And now we're seeing the justice system itself at the level of of federal judges making a mockery of the whole system. This is appalling. You're going to continue to drag out a case. It's already been years. You're going to now continue to drag this out even more as a federal judge after the government has has completely within its power and without any evidence of bad faith without any evidence of corruption that they can point to. The, the executive branch has said, we're not prosecuting this case anymore. This never should have been brought. And in fact, what they are claiming is that there was injustice initially in bringing the case. And somehow this judge is going to continue with it. I don't think that there is going to be a, an, a resolution from the appeals court. I think they're going to push it back down to Judge Sullivan and say, let's see what he does. And Judge Sullivan is going to turn the courtroom into a a circus of anti-Trump arguments and innuendo. And the administration was so wrong here. It's going to allow for all this. They could call witnesses. They can do all kinds of things. They're going to be prosecuting a case without a prosecution. This is Kafkaesque. I mean, this is insane. I understand this is just you look at this and say this is one case. Yeah, but it's it was a strike at the heart of the incoming Trump administration from the crybaby deep state libs who couldn't accept that they lost the election, couldn't accept that hello, Hillary wasn't the president of the United States. The fact that they tried to foist this intense and rapaciously greedy and dishonest mediocrity upon all of us 
who's really her best political move was marrying and then staying married to Bill Clinton. We're supposed to believe this woman now should rule the world. It's absurd. But they were so upset about that that even people who were career so-called government servants couldn't accept the results of a free and fair election. Tens of millions of Americans coming out and casting their vote couldn't accept it, had had to find a way to try to even the score. Remember, they were trying to take down the entire Trump administration. They managed to ambush Flynn, but Flynn was just a part of the overall effort to prove that Donald Trump was a traitor and to get him removed from office. The whole point of the special counsel was to set up either a criminal charge against the president, which they didn't have. So they said, oh, we can't criminally charge the president, so we won't make a determination. Isn't that convenient? All these slimy, lawyerly tricks that have been pulled here. Never, it's never about justice. It's never about what's right, what's fair, what's decent. The special counsel across the board, a sham. This proceeding against General Flynn, appalling. And it's not over yet. You know why? They want to try to humiliate the Trump administration going into the reelection campaign. They want to try to find a way to claim to give the, I, I, the the people that are in the media as as legal experts are really some of the dumbest people I've ever seen in my life. They're actually dumber than the national security experts that I know who are libs in the media who know nothing, who, who are astonishingly ignorant and stupid. But they say, you know, they say things that will make. Cooper and Tapper and Cuomo, etc. nod. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's good. Good analysis there. People are, are abject morons. Uh, but the legal experts are even worse because all they do is view themselves as lawyers for the Democratic Party. They're not giving you legal analysis. They're giving you the DNC talking points of what the law would say if the Democrats could make it up as they're going along. And so that's why so many people are confused here. This really isn't complicated. There is no good faith reason for a judge to continue this nonsense destruction campaign against General Flynn. There's no reason except to extend it out, have there be greater degrees of humiliation. here. He's appointed an, an amicus for what reason? Where, where is, where is the, the party here that is claiming that there needs to be a prosecution of Flynn? Oh, it's the Washington Post editorial page. It's the New York Times across the board. I mean, I was going to say editorial page. It's, it's everyone over there. It's CNN. It's the D.C. elites. That's who wants a prosecution of Flynn. But that doesn't matter in a judicial proceeding because there's no actual prosecution to speak of. And the executive branch has said, no, this should not have happened. We're done here. Judge Sullivan's saying, no, I don't think you're done. I, I, I want to, you know, I'm, I'm demanding that we continue this. And it really is a, a, an Alinskyite abuse of the process. You know, it, it's something it's something similar to, you know, in, in sports, sometimes they figured out that people can claim unlimited injury timeouts and then they get abused by people in bad faith. They'll say, oh, you know, the momentum has gone against them and this happens in tennis. And so people say, oh, you know, my foot really hurts. We need to take a break. And then the momentum turns against them again. Yeah, you know, my foot really hurts again. I mean, this is what is happening in a federal court involving the prosecution of a three-star general and the former short-term national security advisor to the current administration. They're just abusing the rules. Everyone can see it. There's no real reason to continue this because there's no prosecution because there never should have been a prosecution. And listening to the arguments being made, it's absurd.
It's all just hold on. Let's not get to let's just give this more time. There's no harm here. Give it more time. Extend this out. No harm. Flynn has been bankrupted. Flynn has been ruined. And this is all about trying to keep open a door for the attacks against the Trump administration through claiming that Attorney General Bill Barr, who's already been the attorney general in a previous Republican administration, the guy's a world class lawyer and they're they're all going to pretend that he's been compromised or something. I mean, it's just these people are shrill maniacs. You know, I I really I, I didn't think I'd get to the point where. There's not even a good argument to be made on the other side, and therefore I just disrespect people openly who try to make the argument. There, there is no good faith case to be made here. But it goes actually to our current moment with the, the movement such as it is right now out there with COVID-19 lockdowns. It's not about good faith anymore. We are entering a period of absolute bare-knuckle fighting over power. And people on the left, the Democratic Party, will do anything to achieve the power that they seek, and they will pay any price to get there. It does not matter to them. It doesn't, doesn't matter who they ruin, what they do to the country. Everything is open to them now. They have no dignity or principles to protect. They'll do whatever they have to do. Look at Nancy Pelosi. You know, she'll 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 kneel with a kente scarf around her neck, you know, every day until the election. If it means the Democrats win, there's no there's no amount of humiliation. There's no amount of dishonesty. There's no amount of self debasement. The Democrats won't engage in and, and destruction of institutions and sacred norms and things that they always claim Trump is guilty of. They themselves are guilty of. They themselves have done things that are clearly just the expression of political outrage have nothing to do, nothing whatsoever to do with the sanctity of our democracy or protecting our system or anything else. So the Flynn case is very much an emblem. It's a symbol. It's it's a centerpiece of all of these other dynamics that are playing out all around us. They don't care about equal justice. They don't care about justice at all. They don't like something. They want something to be their way. That is the only thought process the Democratic Party currently goes through. This bad, that good. I want. Do it my way. You'll notice that the ideology of the mob is very similar to and sounds very much like the ideology of a spoiled child. That's really what the Democratic Party has turned into, a spoiled child that throws tantrums, that does not want any of the other children to have the same cookie that does not want any of the other children to play by the same rules. They want what they want. And if they don't get it, they're going to scream and kick and hit people around them. That is the Democratic Party of today. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. This legislation, the HEROES Act, says Let's open the economy. We all agree we want to do that. Let's open the economy. Let's have our children be able to go back to school safely, safely. We don't have a vaccine and we don't have a therapy. God willing, we will soon. And we hope and pray that science will be an answer to our prayers in that regard. However, we do have a path. Testing, testing, testing. If there's one word we should all be saying over and over again, testing, testing, testing. We're not even close to what we should be doing 
on a daily basis. The scientists, academics all over the country are preaching this, but the White House has not responded. Too late, Nancy. Too late for this. I'm sorry. We're, we're not going to play this game now where we pretend that we can't all see exactly what's going on here. All, all of a sudden, the protests have, have unleashed their full fury on the streets of the United States. Over 120 cities, massive protests, rioting, looting, violence, police stations destroyed, buildings burnt out. That's that's happened. And then we turn around and say, well, hold on a minute. Now we're going to start getting lectures about how we need more testing. After all the abandonment of social distancing that had occurred in the last two weeks, thousands upon thousands of people in very close quarters for hours and hours on end. And, you know, yeah, most of them were on the younger side. I'm sure a lot of them have family members they've gone back to. I'm sure there are plenty of people they're sharing homes with. And I'm not going to make jokes about them all living in, you know, parents' basements. But there probably are some who live in their parents' basements and are putting those who are at the higher age or in the higher age brackets at risk from this. Assuming that outdoor spread is a risk, which I don't think it is. But they are now saying it is because they got... The excuse for two weeks, they were able to get a dispensation from the media and Fauci, who's like, yo, the mitigation, where'd it, where'd it go? Oh, we lost it for two weeks, but we got it now back for two more weeks. Now, all of a sudden, we're going to start hearing about testing, testing. We don't use the testing capacity that currently exists. And guess what? We're not going to be able to tell people that they all have to get tested every two weeks so that Nancy Pelosi doesn't freak out about it. That's just not going to happen. What have I been telling you about test and trace and all this other stuff? But the panic that is starting right now is a politicized panic about the second wave. I'm telling you, I've been telling this all along, we're going to be all right from a disease standpoint, but the political response to this could be catastrophic. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get ready for the second wave. That's what they're telling you. Georgia has been open for weeks and weeks. Texas, these places have been open and they are going to do everything they can. You've already seen this reflected in the stock market. There was a big stock market rally that then got turned completely around because the media started with this panic of, oh, my gosh, there's a there's a second wave that is here. And they've been saying every two weeks for the last six to eight weeks, just wait two more weeks. There's going to be a wave. Just wait two more weeks. Let me explain to you why we should not believe them. Now, this is it's a different thing to say the disease is still out there. Yes, of course it is that there are still people who are getting it. There are still people who are getting hospitalized. There are still people who are dying from it. But the numbers are dramatically lower than they were a few months ago. We have gotten a bit better, according to doctors that I've been speaking to, about treating it. That doesn't mean we have a real therapeutic but we have gotten better at treating it as a general matter. And also because we're in the summer months now, upper respiratory diseases are less than they are during the winter months. We know this from just life. Year in and year out, colds and flu, when does that happen? You know, you go to your, you go to your drugstore, when are you picking up cold and flu medicine? Not a lot of you are doing that in July. I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's, it's rare. It's rare. 
But now we see, oh, okay, uh, we're supposed to do what exactly? Continue drag through. Oh, that's right. We're back to this now. Let's drag through uh, more lockdowns. Let's let's have this continue on where we can't live our lives. Our economy goes comes to a screeching halt again. And it's all just constrained. They want us to be on economic life support with the federal government funneling cash to us because they understand that that is advantageous for politics. There's nothing they won't do, my friends. The only thing that holds the left back is what will help us, you know, and and what are they able to do? That's it. There's no more. There's no morality. There's no shared sense of decency that is holding them back in a political sense from doing anything or from saying anything, from making any claim. They've completely lost their minds. You know, the, the old liberals have been defeated. That's what you're seeing right now. I think it's very important to understand that the old liberalism is is now on the way out. This new brand of wokeness, of radicalism, the, uh, you know, the, the Jacobins of the Democratic Party are the ones that are calling the shots. They really can't control them anymore. They can't tell the young, you know, the 25-year-old who thinks that someone who says anything they don't like can just be accused of basically committing violence and therefore, there's a moral obligation to punish and shut down and destroy that person. Words I don't like equals violence. This is a, this is a terrible thing for this country. I mean, this is a recipe for the eradication of freedom entirely. I mean, to live in a subservient state to the will of the left and the big S state. That's what we are heading for unless we recognize this for what it is. They told us 15 days to stop the spread or to, to, to um, flatten the curve. That was what they told us. And now they're telling us, well, it's really going to be more like maybe six months, maybe 12 months, maybe 18 months. That's what we're looking at. No, no, we, we didn't sign up for that. I didn't agree to that. My friends. As conservatives, we are going to have to engage in mass noncompliance. Oh, only the left gets to do civil disobedience? I don't think so. If they try to shut us down again in ways that are uh, within our conscience and that are safe, we should say no. We should, we should say that we're not going to do that. We should noncomply. Those of you who are in positions to defy that authority should defy that authority. It's now become a little act of defiance for me every day just to walk outside and to go out in the building. I live in an apartment building. I don't own it. I don't own my I don't own anything. And I don't wear a mask. I go outside without a mask. I come back in without a mask. I don't do it. That's a little act of defiance right now because you're supposed to, based on an executive order from the government, from the from the the governor of New York State, Cuomo, who is a moron and a bad and a bad guy. uh, That's not a legislative act. That's not within his purview to determine. This wouldn't withstand constitutional scrutiny. And, you know, in an emergency, there are certain things that can fly. There are certain things that you're just going to let go. But this is not an emergency. This is now something that is manageable. This is something that we can deal with. And they're acting like they can just turn on that emergency button again as soon as they want. As soon as, we all know this, it is politically useful because... 
they want to have a means of criticizing the upcoming Trump rallies, because here's what you're going to see at the Trump rallies. Tens of thousands of people gathered together who support this president, who support his agenda, who believe in law and order, who want the economy to be restored, and who I think have started to get a sense of how endangered freedom really is in this country. I'm pleased to see that uh, White House economic advisor Larry Kudlow, who I think is just at that stage in life where he's just going to speak the truth, and he knows that they're going to come after him with everything they've got, and he knows that the psycho libs can't handle anything. They're all really so emotionally damaged. I mean, that's a an observation that we should all have about the woke left and people who believe in this, people who really think that they're changing the world by putting up a a black square on their Instagram or doing a video where they're just like, I take responsibility for all the bad things. I, I take responsibility. No, you don't. No, responsibility comes with consequence. There's no consequence. In fact, there's only upside. That's not taking responsibility. That's patting yourself on the back. What a great person you are. Virtue signaling isn't brave. That's why we make fun of it all the time. But Kudlow is at the point now where he doesn't care how emotionally deranged and unstable the left is. He's just going to speak the truth. So he, he said earlier today that a second wave of the coronavirus was not descending upon the country. And, of course, Politico is saying even as cases are spiking in more than a dozen states. Kudlow told uh, Fox and Friends, quote, there's no emergency. There is no second wave. I don't know where that got started on Wall Street. He said he's not a health expert, uh, but he's spoken with the top public health officials at some length. They're saying there's no second spike. Let me repeat, there is no second spike. There are so many ways that the media and I'll I'll walk you through them. I spoke to my uh, my new I don't know what we'd call them comrade. I hate that term. Buddy, colleague, I don't know, because we don't really know each other. Well, I've never met him. But Alex Berenson, who, you know, has this book. Uh, uh, the the truth, uh, the truths about covid. I mean, I forget what the exact title is, but it's, if you type in Alex Berenson covid, it'll come up for you. Um, I think it's untold truths about covid. And we, we discussed this yesterday and he was saying, look, there are so many ways when you look at the data that it is actively being misrepresented. And you think, who would ever do that? I mean, are not we all in this together? Are not we all going through this at the same time? How could anyone be so reckless as to misrepresent COVID data at this point in time? Aren't we supposed to be using what we know and the numbers as they come in so that we make the best policy decisions and keep people safe while also keeping the economy going? Fortunately, we're past that moral panic of, if you think that we need an economy, you just don't care about people dying. No, that is not true. It's just not true. True. And finally, we are past that. Finally, we are at a phase, at a stage where I think that idiocy is no longer able to be a silencing tool against the rest of us. But there is a little bit of an uptick in cases in some major metropolitan areas, and they're going to deal with it. And we know where these things are happening, but there are a lot of ways the data can also be misrepresented. I want you to be on guard for this. Cases themselves, which just means a positive COVID test, do not mean the disease is getting worse because there is a direct there's a direct link between how much testing is going on 
and how many cases there are, right? If you have a lot of cases in an area, but you had 100% of the area tested, guess what? Or even 50% of the area tested or 20, whatever it may be. But a surge in testing also means there'll be an aggregate a higher number of actual cases. Another way that the statistics are being abused here or the numbers as they come in are being abused. Uh, If you go into a hospital now for any reason, you're likely to have in most places a uh, a COVID-19 test. I've been tested just from going to the White House, you know, but but people get tested for COVID-19 frequently. And therefore, you have people who are showing up who are asymptomatic who are getting tested in the hospital. And they may, in fact, be counted as a COVID case. Right. It depends on how the hospital there's an incentive in terms of federal dollars. So if someone comes in the hospital, you test them. They're not there because of COVID, but they have COVID. Now, are they going to be counted as a COVID case? You will certainly for the positive test, but are they counted as a COVID hospitalization? You dig into this, you start to see it's more complicated. And then just the surge in hospitalizations. Generally, this is another way that the, that the numbers can be abused. More people can go to hospitals now and use hospitals because and, and are doing so because they're allowed to for non COVID related things. So just a spike in hospitalization usage alone is meaningless. In fact, we want that. Because we want people who are getting elective surgeries done. We want people who are able to go do things to get chemotherapy treatment and so on and so forth. So don't allow them to get away with this. Oh, there's all these states and the numbers. Oh, it's pandemonium. Oh, pandemonium just in time for the Trump rallies. Just in time for that. It's it's stunning um, that they're so dishonest. I told you weeks ago they're going to come back with this. You know it. I said it. I was as clear as day. On this show, they're going to resurrect this. We're going to get ready for it. The fight over the second wave is coming and it's going to be nasty and vicious because this is in some ways even more important for their political prospects. If we're allowed to come out of this, if we're allowed to go forward and, and rebuild the economy and get some momentum going to the election, it's clearly of enormous benefit, not just to Trump, but to the Republican Party. And they know that. So they want to suppress the economy. They want this to continue to be in the back of people's minds going forward because whatever they have to do, they will do in order to seize power through the ballot box. And that includes perhaps skewing those ballot boxes in their favor as well. Something we'll talk more about later. Um, but here, here's the... You know, people are talking about 18 states reporting an increase in COVID-19 case counts, spikes in Arizona, Florida, Texas. Yeah, but if those places, if they've been going down for six weeks and they go up 2% for a week, oh my gosh, are we all supposed to hide under our beds again? No one said that it's supposed to be at zero. Hospitals are not at risk of being overwhelmed. We should go back to business as usual with precautions in place for those at high risk. That is it. There is no other way. The people who are telling you there's another way, oh, we're going to test and trace. We're going to have an army, Fauci says, of tracers. They're going to follow you around. You know, hey, what did you have for breakfast? Did you have Wheaties? Did you have Special K? You know, oh, also, did you get your COVID test this morning? You had one yesterday. You need another one and another one. This is where we are, trying to create a turnkey totalitarian system for all of us under the guise of public health.
Get ready for it. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. What I'm trying to figure out is how we keep people from drowning at the moment, yeah. at this moment. And for example, we, you know, if you're going to build, we're going to go back to work. How do we go? Like, for example, there are no standards. How we send kids back to school or daycare. No. Mm-hmm. None at all. None. What are we going to do? We got to lay that out now because how many, for example, I think every single solitary uh, person out there who has a child should have uh, child care. Yeah, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take uh, this issue that's, uh, you know, uh, really complicated and just make it about a Democrat agenda item. Child care. Yeah, there we go. I thought we were talking about the disease. Now we're talking about how everybody needs to have government-provided child care. That, that's where we are. Okay. Oh, my, friends. Um, Biden is, look, it, 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 we're going to get to a point, unfortunately, where it doesn't matter how dumb what Biden says is. It doesn't matter how out of it, how um, how inept and, and how completely incapable of being president he looks. Democrats don't care. You're not going to change anyone who's voting for Biden in the Democratic Party doesn't care about it and isn't even going to engage on this. They're just going to pretend it's the emperor has no clothes and they're all saying, look at that emperor's fantastic suit. It's amazing. It's so special. That's going to be the Democrats with Biden. That's not going to change. Uh, but he says things that are just untrue. And they always talk about how Trump is lying and everything. And first of all, Biden has a history of being a, a big liar on matters that are important, you know, lying about his role in the civil rights movement, lying about meeting Nelson Mandela or being arrested on the way to meet Nelson Mandela, I should say. All these different things. Uh, but here he's just saying that there's no plan for reopening schools. That's not true. There's been a plan in place for weeks. And the plan is too restrictive. But this is where I think there might finally be some pushback. People need to go and go to their, you know, conservatives. We are not mobilized. And that's why I think these Trump rallies are so important. You need to go to your PTA meetings if your kids are in public school. Or you need to go meet with the whatever the school authorities are. If you're Catholic school, I don't know. Whoever it is. I don't have kids, so I don't know how this stuff works. But you need to make sure that your voice is heard. That school needs to be open this fall. This is insane. Schools should be open this summer. They should have opened up summer schools. We can shut down the whole economy, but we can't put an extra month or two on the calendar for kids to be in school. Why? Says who? It's it's amazing. And here we are. We're, we're back in this fight again to have our to have our lives back. I mean, to reopen the country. We're still in lockdown in New York. We're in phase one of four in New York City because the lunatics in charge won't give up control and don't care how much misery they are inducing with their stupidity. And they're all Democrats. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. You really can't make it up. It's I mean, poison, I, I thought it was Gower. a joke when I saw it. I tell you, it. it's poison, Mr. Gow. Yes. This is unbelievable. That's an, it's make America great yeah. again, anyway. but try not to die yeah. while you're doing it. No, um, no, it's, okay. it's, it's hashtag make America great again, but you might die. And it's not our problem. And we're not responsible. Okay. Yay! Four more years. All right. Oh, yeah, I'm sure that Morning Joe, the, the uh, most dishonest... Uh, the most dishonest, he's a liberal. I mean, he can say he's a conservative, but he switched teams. He just won't admit it. The most dishonest person on MSNBC right now. Um, I'm sure that he had a lot of comments, uh, mockery for the protesters who were gathering by the thousands and thousands and thousands and the lack of social distancing that was involved in that, right? Oh, no. If you want to gather together in the streets, 
Whose streets are streets occupy? Oh no, that's a different that's a different moment they were using that chant, isn't it? It's almost like this is just the left cyclicky sick in a cyclical fashion, unleashing the insanity that is stored up from the mob. Oh, that is kind of what happens, isn't it? People are angry, and this becomes the expression of their anger. And all the celebrities and all the institutions all gather together and talk about how oppressed they are. Meanwhile, they control so much of society. The left has had so much dominance of the institutions of culture, institutions that create a vast amount of wealth and and have a tremendous influence. You know, you go on YouTube, for example. YouTube is constantly biased against conservatives. I mean, I'm, I'm dealing with this right now as we've launched a YouTube channel. They'll just pull stuff down and you have to go, why is my stuff being pulled down? I'm doing political commentary. If it's safe for radio and the FCC has no problem, why is it being taken down? Oh, because it violates our terms of service. Then you got to get into the what's in the terms of service and turns out that there's something, you know, about, oh, we don't want people to feel excluded or unsafe or, you know, what does that even mean? Whatever the left says it does. They control the platforms. There are conservative billionaires out there. There are people of tremendous influence who see the world in real terms. Realistically is how they view the, is how they view the world around them. And they could do something really worthwhile about this. But no, let's just let's give more. Let's give more money to bloated D.C. think tanks to write policy papers that five people read by accident on the Internet. Let's do more of that. Let's not actually create a place for real free speech where it actually where, where it actually happens. And we don't have to worry about, well, when they're going to pull the plug on that. You know, I'm seeing all of these uh, all these people that are going after now the sponsors on Tucker Carlson's show. That's just because he's been effective. He has been a, a rallying point for sanity on Fox News night after night in the midst of all this absurdity and chaos and lies, all this deception and anger that is that is being foisted, being jammed down the throats of the American people by the left. Oh, I know some of them like it, but a lot of us don't. And Tucker has been willing to speak truth about this while they're always trying to tell us that we have to just sit and get lectured and deal with all the nonsense. Oh, yeah, sure. There's riots and destruction of property and they're ruining whole neighborhoods. But I mean, it's mostly peaceful. The people who say this are disgusting frauds and they're all over the media. And the media is really one entity. Now, there's just there's conservative media, which is the opposition party to the media. That's what that's the world that we actually live in. We don't there's not a left right media. There is the media. And then there is this little faction known as conservative media. And if you're in that faction, you know, you push back against the dominant paradigm of left wing insanity. That's what ends up happening. Uh, but they're going after Tucker Carlson right now and saying that and they're trying to pull sponsors from him. This is not Tucker's ratings are through the roof. The market shows that people want to watch Tucker Carlson's content, but the left tries to use influence in institutions to shut off the financing for that speech. This is this is how they play the game. This is why Media Matters and Sleeping Giants and these other organizations that all they try to do is deplatform and shut down conservative speech through slander and lies and just the most disgusting gutter tactics imaginable, the people that work for those organizations and the mainstream media entities that use their stuff are are just beyond contempt. They're beneath contempt. 
but they're gonna they're going after Tucker Show. I'll, I'll tell you this: um, if if Tucker Show ever got pulled from Fox, and I think I think Fox understands this, uh, the the outcry against it would be it would be deafening, uh, and it would not be it would not be a smart business move. So I I hope you know, be, and and also it would be such a signal to the rest of us that okay, so no one's safe to have a real discussion anymore about this. We're told about how oppressed the left is and different factions and, and different you know, racial identity groups within the left. We're told how oppressed they are. And yet we can't even have a conversation about it without fear of getting destroyed. They can say whatever they want. The left can say if you're if you're on the in the broad spectrum of, of the left, look at Al Sharpton, an anti-Semite. But he's a black liberal, so he's allowed to get away with that. Right. Al Sharpton, who was a part of a hoax that cost a man his life. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. The Tawana Brawley hoax all swept under the rug. No one cares anymore. Al Sharpton is giving the eulogy at, at the George Floyd funeral. Al Sharpton has his own show at MSNBC. He's a millionaire. He flies private and so on and so forth. The, these are the rules as they are explained to us by reality. They, don't, they won't admit that these are the rules. But they will tell us that going forward, the rules such as they are, are, uh, are going to be in constant flux. That we do know. They're going to be changing things on us. They're going to be switching things up. So with that, I, I also want to tell you, this is an example of what happens when you try, uh, when you try to appease the current moment, when you, when you do everything you can and just for the record, I had to, if it sounded like I was falling out of my chair there for a second, I got a special visit from Tallulah the French Bulldog in my, uh, in my studio. She managed to, to come over into the studio space, and then she was running around, so I had to pick her up for a second. So apologies for the, uh, the pitter-patter of little, little uh, doggy paws on the floor there, but I had to pick her up for a second. So Lady Antebellum. Which ha they have one song that I am familiar with. Uh, they have changed their name to Lady A uh, because just the the you know the evocative nature or or the the fact that you know, antebellum you know is referred to the pre Civil War South. Um, just that that reference is now unwoke. It cannot exist. And so they uh, they have decided to change their name to Lady A. But they've run into a problem. There is a a black blues singer, according to Rolling Stone, who for the last 20 years has performed under the name Lady A. And this is just classic. Lady A has now said to the new Lady A or said about them, quote, for them not to even reach out is pure privilege. That's right. Does she really think that they did this knowing? I'm sure they just didn't know about this. You know, they, this was a mistake. They don't want there to be brand conflation or confusion. But another, you know, you, you change your name so that the, the woke crowd won't be mad at you anymore. And you fall into yet another another problem with the woke crowd. That, that is the classic moment uh, that, that we are in right now. Uh, they're, you know, they're, they're going after Columbus statues all over. The, I think the third Columbus statue has now been toppled. And look, I, I think I think that we're just we need to understand 
that they're coming for the founding fathers. I mean, there's going to be a, a movement. It's just a matter of time to, to rename. I don't just mean monuments. I, I mean to rename cities. Uh, I mean to rename memorials. I mean to rename it all. Think about how much that will that will involve. And you, you'd have to ask if they don't do that, why? Given what we're seeing about, about Columbus, they're establishing rules now that people that are in our culture, that are a part of the, you know, of American history and the American story, that are judged by 2020 standards to have been immoral and wrong and, and engaged in bad behaviors of all kinds, um, that they have to be purged from public view and can no longer be celebrated for one aspect of what they did. The, the totality of the person is up for public debate. In that kind of environment, you'd have, to, you'd have to ask, okay, who are we allowed to revere? Who are we allowed to, to hold up and cherish? So, oh, I don't even think I got into what the, uh, the problem is that Joe Scarborough and Mika, because they, they set me off so much. I don't, I'll have to come back and, and address that at a moment here. What, what are they mocking, saying, oh, the rallies are going to cause death? I, I will address that in, in just a moment. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Okay, so why is everyone all of a sudden talking about the the death cult of Trump voters, at least in the liberal media? That's what they're suggesting. That's what they're talking about. Well, it's because the Trump campaign has put out a disclaimer, a waiver of sorts, that if you are going to get tickets for the Oklahoma rally next week, and look, if I... If I could easily get there, I would go. I can promise you that. No question about it. Um, and and if, if it was possible for me, I would, I would go check it out. Um, but I also do think it's important that everyone understand, one, we live in a highly litigious society. People sue each other here all the time. If they think there's a payday that they can get to, if they think there's some way that they can, you know, profit off of pretending that they were wronged in some way, even if it's completely up to their own decision making and it was their own fault, they will do so. But also, I think it's important that the Trump campaign show that, yes, there are risks that, yes, if you come out, it is possible you will be exposed to COVID-19 and people are able to make the choice as adults as to whether or not they're going to go to the rally. Now, to me, it does seem like it would make sense to hold the rallies whenever possible outside. I, I would recommend that. Now, I know with weather issues, that can be a bit more challenging. But and also perhaps from a Secret Service protection perspective, that may be a nightmare. And I, I don't I never worked on the Secret Service side, so I'm just assuming that that's probably an issue. But people should know that if they are going to these rallies, they're making a decision as adults, they're making an affirmative decision that they are willing to put themselves at some degree of risk from COVID-19. And that this is going to be the world that we're living in going forward. When you go into a very crowded place, there might be people that are there, a person or people who are there who have COVID-19, and you should take some precautions. And if you are a, at, if you are a highly compromised immune system, or if you are, you know, over the age of 70, that is a, you know, there is a risk component that you should certainly take into account as you're doing this. I would also note that this is the kind of stuff that I couldn't even say. You can't even say this on YouTube, I'm finding out. You can't put up these, 
even-handed, honest assessments and analysis of public policy issues because the lockdown consensus is so strong now. It's very much like what we see with climate change, where if you question the orthodoxy, you are screamed at, you are yelled at, you are told that you are a terrible person. And then if you ask for facts to back this all up, uh, you'll be told that just that alone, your request for the information is evidence of your lack of willingness to believe the evidence. So show me the evidence is, well, you don't even believe evidence if you're asking that question. And this is the circular, this is the circular reasoning. This is the absurd way that we are all told to just obey. You know, up in Boston, I think they just declared a public health emergency uh, of racism. Racism is a public health emergency. Well, this should set everybody a little bit on edge. Um, yes, racism is bad, and yes, racism exists, right? We always have to go through this, this uh, you know, initial preamble, or else you become one of the canceled, right? Or, as if, and, and I find it honestly degrading to have to always sit around when we're talking about these issues and say, obviously racism is bad, obviously ra- uh, But if you don't do that, then the cancel culture comes after you. So these are these are ways that they're affecting our national conversation. These are the ways they're making you in your own home, talking to people or, you know, in the office or in any public forum on social media. If you're engaging, you immediately are on the defensive of, well, hold on, because I don't agree with the leftist orthodoxy in its totality, as represented by the Black Lives Matter movement and all of its affiliations, I'm automatically suspect and there. And therefore, I have to say oh, I'm so sorry about racism. It is terrible. But now can we talk about whether defunding the police is a serious thing to do? Oh, I'm so sorry about the history of racial discrimination in this country. It is terrible. And it is. But now can I talk about what's going on today in this particular context? It's this is a power dynamic that we have to do this. And it is you know, it would be a bit like saying, can I discuss, you know, uh, an issue of and we will later in the show discuss J.K. Rowling Uh, the author of the Harry Potter series and how she's doubling down. I give her credit. She's a she's a progressive lib. And yet she's saying, look, women are real. And to say that being a woman is just a declaration of one's intent to be a woman or something is is hurtful and wrong and untrue. And they're coming after her with everything. But before I get into that, if I were speaking about a a woman's issue or an issue that uh, issue of policy that affects women predominantly, um, I, I should not have to always say, I am not a misogynist. I do not believe in hurting women for no reason. I, you know, I, I shouldn't. But that's where we are on, on issues of race. And, and that is just a fact. That is where we are as a society. If you want to discuss issues of race and you are not a liberal and you are white, you better start every sentence with racism is bad, even though you're acting on the assumption and we should all be acting on the assumption that we all agree that racism, racism is bad. Of course it is. The same way that we would all act under the, under the assumption as we're having a discussion about women in the workplace, let's say, or about, um, you know, maternity leave policies. Let's do that. If I'm talking about maternity leave policy, I should not have to do some throat clearing. Or, well, first, let me just say that women are equal to men and um, I reject misogyny and I, and I reject, you know, domestic violence. Uh, of course I do. Why? Why should I? But you always you got to always put these markers in place. That just goes to show you 
how skewed. It is not a playing field that is leveled for discussion and open ideas. It is skewed against the right in favor of a leftist orthodoxy that's constantly changing, mind you. But the whole point is to keep us all on on defense all the time. Got to be on defense. And then you just get tired of it and you do what they tell you you are supposed to do. Eventually you just submit. And that's really the that's really the point of it. So, uh, you know, the Trump rallies, I think, are going to be very helpful. Um, I think that it's going to be good for people to see Trump doing his thing. Um, I hesitate to even bring this up, but we all know that there's also a lot of politicians who are older and COVID puts them at higher risk for their age range. So let's remember that any politician who's willing, any politician, including the president of the United States, who's willing to go out there is also taking a risk. And that shouldn't be discounted. We should all understand that we are adults making decisions and none of us are going to live forever. And there is this thing called COVID-19 that's out there that is that is dangerous to people over 50, particularly dangerous to people over 70. And we, we should operate with that framework of understanding. And that's what I think the campaign is doing. So the fact that they're all like, oh, it's all so funny. Were they making jokes? about all the people that might die from the rallies. There were older people in the rallies, as we know from the guy in Buffalo in his 70s who got pushed to the ground. There were older people in the rallies, too. Were they making jokes about how screaming, I hate racism and, you know, all this other stuff. Was, is that worth exposing yourself or perhaps your elderly relatives to COVID-19? No jokes about that because the media is full of stupid frauds like Joe Scarborough. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. No, he's not, he doesn't help anything. As a, matter of, as a matter of fact, he has the nerve to call anybody a domestic terrorist. He's the domestic terrorist. He's the one who's been impeached uh, for obstructing justice uh, in this country. He's the one who has friends who are in jail. You know, he, uh, uh, Roger Stone's in jail. Michael Flynn's in jail. Roger Cohen. Uh, Michael Cohen is in jail. He, he's, he's worried about people in Seattle. By the way, if he wants to do something about Seattle, somebody better show him where it is on the map i doubt that he even knows where it is get back in your bunker get back in the bunker he's a domestic terrorist get back in your bunker where where is that i look i i mean if i had ever read a book i would i would throw it at him but i'm very upset because he's a terrorist now look as much fun as it is to do an impression of joy behar which is kind of like a combination of iago from aladdin and Dr. Fauci, uh, you know, it, it, that as much fun as it is, it is also, I think, sometimes important because, yeah, she's a moron for sure. But she's a multimillionaire uh, TV personality who reflects. I mean, the reason she gets paid so well to do what she does is because there's a bunch of libs in the corporate media that are like, yo, Joy Behar is really spot on today. I mean, the worst the worst people you'll come across in life might might, in fact, be uh, TV news executives. But uh, but they think that Joy Behar has really got a lot, a lot to add, a lot to say. And she is representative of a pretty widespread point of view. And the point of view is that Trump is basically Hitler, which is where we still are. Nothing has really changed. They've never thought differently about this president since the very beginning of all this, when they were saying that Trump is a fascist, and if anything, now they are more set in that than ever before. The only options for the left, the only options for the Democrats, would be to admit that Donald Trump was never a fascist and that they were 
insane in all the things that they were saying, which they they will not do. They're not going to do that. Or to just double down and say, see, it's exactly like we told you. He is a fascist and find some new reason for that now and just keep going through this. See, we were right. He's a and then with time, normal people will go, hold on a second. He's a fascist because he allowed the states to make their own determinations about a public health matter that was being weaponized from the very beginning by the Democrats against Donald Trump. You're going to say that he's a fascist. If, if you were trying to establish the ultimate justification for complete state control, which is why COVID-19 has been an irresistible political tool for the Democrats, climate change is pretty good. Racism as a uh, as a national emergency is also pretty good. That allows you to get away with a whole lot of state control right away. Uh, but a public health emergency over a pandemic, I mean, this is... This is something that, that the left, uh, they can't find a better circumstance. They can't find a better way uh, to try and seize control of everything and make you do exactly what they want you to do. So, so Behar is representative of a mentality that, as dumb as it is, and as much as she's just like, you know, I hate Trump, he's terrible, he's awful, he's like... It's like if Stalin and Hitler had a baby that was ugly and I saw a photo of it and I was like, that's an ugly baby from Stalin and Hitler. As much as all of that is dumb, uh, there are millions of people across the country and throughout the media that that largely agree with her. And and since we're talking about media consensus, this is this is a montage that is making its way around right now. And I wanted I wanted to share this one with you, too. Well, if you think you're not racist, you could be right. But in this day and age, that's simply not good enough. What I did wrong in 2016 is I overestimated white people. The biggest terror threat in this country is white men, most of them radicalized to the right. Those white guys, those middle-aged, boring, nerdy-looking white guys. And white people have been probably woefully late to this conversation. But I'm not willing to let white voters off the hook. Do you believe that that, that white folks actually care about racial injustice? It doesn't appear that we do. I mean, the status quo of our society is racism, and it's comfortable for white people. Well, because we're white, we have have had privilege, even the poorest of us. I sit here as a privileged white woman. I cannot imagine, but I appreciate you educating us. Is there any degree of self, uh, self-deprecation, self-abasement, any degree of groveling uh, uh, that, that is too much for whiteness? I, I just want to know. It, it, let, let's get a little philosophical about this. How much apologizing for privilege a- am I supposed to do? Is this something I have to do every day, all the time? Am I allowed to have opinions on race relations in this country and am I allowed to have those opinions without always starting out with I apologize I think the answer is is no I have to always you must first start with the apology apologizing for what exactly for being who I am it is immoral to demand that people apologize which is a request for forgiveness and an admission of guilt for something that one has done you know, I, I cannot apologize for the first crusade. 
Okay, and I, and I know that we go through all this where people want to go into history and be the ones that say, oh, I can't apologize for the first crusade. I wasn't there. I had no part in it. It had nothing to do with my reality or my existence. But there are people that still want us to be apologizing for things that happened um, 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 500 years ago. I mean, look, at, look at Christopher Columbus. We're supposed to be apologizing for this. And I, I would just like to know if this is now the new standard, where, where is it too much? Where are we being asked to do too much? And does it ever stop? Will we still be apologizing for the same things that we're being told to apologize for now in 50 years, in 100 years? If we're having a serious philosophical conversation about this country and what it should be uh, trying to achieve, since it is, it, we're told now it is not acceptable that we have law that is blind to race, and that as a society, we overwhelmingly view each other as, as, uh, as equals. I mean, there are racists. Yes, I know. I've never denied that. But 99% of Americans are not, in fact, racist. I know that, that the libs, their heads would all explode. But, you know, 99% of Americans just like people and love their fellow Americans and are trying to go about their lives. And we're all carrying a heavy burden and we're all doing the best we can. But that's not the country that we're allowed to live in. We have to live in a country where there's a constant apology made by people uh, who are white to everyone all the time. And I would also want to know, why is it just why are we just apologizing to the uh, black community in America under the lib rules, under the left's formulation here? We should also always be apologizing to Native Americans. We should be apologizing to Asian Americans for the Japanese internment camps, perhaps even for the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Uh, we should be, you know, why is it that we limit this. What are the limiting principles? They don't have answers. But it's just too much fun to watch all these white liberals constantly just, just rubbing their hands, going, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I take responsibility, I take responsibility. No, I don't. I don't take responsibility. I don't bend the knee. And that's not going to change. People who are moral and ethical and are people of character understand who they are and will not be swayed by the allegations of the mob that there is a collective guilt that is infused in their, in their personhood. No, I reject that. I reject that. The media's willingness to bash whiteness and to demand things of white people constantly is appalling. It's immoral. But I know that they're just going to continue to do what they do because it's good for ratings and it makes white liberals feel superior to the other people on the right who do not agree with them about how we should be approaching these problems. So it's not going to go away, but I would just note that they don't have a real argument to make here because the moment you start to ask real questions, they just shout and go ad hominem and attack you. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. All right, everybody, we are pleased to be joined right now by Senator Marsha Blackburn of the great state of Tennessee. Senator, thank you so much for calling in. It is so good to be with you. Thank you so much. All right. Let's talk about where we are now getting things up and running across America. Uh, first off, you know, is, is Tennessee fully open now? And, and what are you seeing uh, from the from the federal level, as the president says, that he won't go into a second lockdown. How, how confident are you that that's going to be the case going forward? I have to tell you, Tennesseans are working hard to make certain we don't have another safer at home order. Uh, they are 
abiding by all the protocols. They are making certain that they are wearing masks. They are distancing. They are going back to work in safe ways. And employers are doing a terrific job with being certain that there is PPE for all of the employees, that people are practicing social distancing. And, you know, one of the interesting things I found, many of the employers have brought people back in different groups. And they are having some employees continue to work remotely while they reconfigure office spaces and decide exactly how they're going to handle it. And I think people are being very thoughtful. I have not met anyone who says, I want to get COVID or anyone that says, I want to give COVID to someone else. Senator Blackburn, are you confident that uh, all necessary procedures will be in place going forward for these rallies to occur in, in the most safe and secure fashion possible? I think that for rallies, for sporting events, for concerts, for live venues, you're seeing these groups work together to have conversations with one another and say, how do we do that? Uh, do we want to do a temperature check? Do we want to do a COVID test that is similar to like a breathalyzer or uh, some other way to make a determination if someone does or does not have COVID? So Americans are innovators. They are problem solvers. They're going to find a way to make this happen, to figure out how to keep people safe when they come to their events. Another component of that is that employers want to be sure that they have and also some of these venue and theme park owners want to be certain there's liability that if someone gets COVID and they look back where they were a week to two weeks back that they're not held liable for someone saying well we caught COVID while we were in your area right and senator how are we doing with with PPE with funding Treasury Secretary Mnuchin said that there's still plenty of money to be dispersed. I believe this was yesterday, that there's there's more essentially that the government's going to be able to do to help get the economy going and also to put money in the hands of people who have been so negatively affected by this. Where, where are we right now on PPE and, and yeah. what's the top of, of your Senate agenda to try to help get things up and running again? Well, there is money that is still left in the PPP funds. And there is money there that that window is open for businesses until the end of June. And then they're going to have until the end of December to spend those funds. Now, one thing that is being discussed right now is do you make some of these funds that are left over available to small businesses that were destroyed during the rioting and looting and property? property destruction that has taken place over the last couple of weeks. And uh, Senator, is there anything else that you think should be done in, in addition to the current financial, uh, the current financial moves from the federal government side? You know, it, something that you would want to see that would either help your home state of Tennessee or just in general 
be a real boost to the economy? Well, I, there are three things I think that we should do that really don't cost money, but would encourage businesses to get going. Number one is liability protection. And we hear regularly, this is necessary. It is needed. People want to see some form of federal liability protection. That would be a good thing. I tried to address that and get that in place with uh, our phase three bill. But of course, our friends across the aisle did not want that. And it came out. So we're working on it as we look at what comes next. In addition, looking at what we could do with tax credits, the money that employers are spending for PPE for their employees, making certain that there is a credit for that, having a payroll tax holiday for both the employer and the employee, uh, looking at rules and regulations that were not necessary during COVID and saying, let's keep those off the books and not put them back on the books. Now, those are three different categories that would be a savings for businesses and also would put more money in the pockets of individuals. But let's say with tax credits, you could have a kept gains tax holiday between now and the end of the year. And if your business was adversely impacted by COVID or by the rioting, then you would be able to invest, get investors into that business. And when they back their money out, it would come out to them income tax free or cap gains tax free. That's the way that you get this economy growing again and get innovators working again. And one more, Senator Blackburn, and we're speaking to Senator Marsha Blackburn from Tennessee. Uh, Senator, do you see action on the Republican Senate side that would uh, address the issues right now that are being talked about of uh, police accountability and making law enforcement more effective, keeping everyone safe. Uh, is there anything that you you want to see happen on that on that front? Sure. We had already, uh, back when we did 21st Century Cures in 2016, uh, we put money in for de-escalation training for mental health. And de-escalation training, I think, is something that would be important. Uh, we want to make certain that our law enforcement officers have the training and the equipment, equipment that they need to keep communities safe. And it was disheartening to me to hear our officers and my goodness we need to be investing more in our police force and not defunding the police but they would say you know we didn't have the training necessary for COVID or we don't have the training necessary for first response for some of the drug situations uh, we don't have the equipment for that or we don't have the equipment to handle rioting uh, these are things we need to be certain that they have. They are the first responders. When you call 911, they are the ones that come to help you. And we want to make certain they're well-trained, well-equipped, because we know they are an integral part of all of our communities. Senator Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee, thank you so much for joining us. All the best. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Bus Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, everybody, it is Friday. Whew. Made it through 
another week in this this crazy year of 2020 which i've got to tell you 2020 i am not happy with you so far 2019 you kicked ass and were amazing 2020 you are upsetting and you need a timeout and no soup for you it's it's been not not my favorite year so far i think even producer mark would agree producer mark 2020 not not up to par well i mean i got married last year so i kind of have to like 2019 better there we go producer mark doesn't want to be sleeping on the couch this weekend he's a smart man yes so, tw- 2019 way better i got to go to producer mark's wedding in 2019 so there we go another another uh check mark in the 2019 is better box but i, I think we're gonna go i'm with trump on this one. we're gonna go into the fourth quarter very strong that's what i think is gonna happen and with that man can we you tell us a little bit you were able to hear we had uh, a lot of voicemails coming in this week Yes, people uh, seem to like the voicemails. I was able to get a few that uh, are even worthy of being on the air. Let's do it, Producer Marks. Kick kick us off with our audio roll call. Hi, Buck. It's Roy from Texas. Shields, hi, man. Hey, I agree with you on not bending the knee. I totally agree with that. I'm also with you on the mask foolishness. I stopped playing that game a long time ago. I'm not going to be like the rest of these sheeple. Hang in there, Buck. Love your show. Roy, thank you so much, my friend. Uh, I, I, I look. Don't don't bend the knee because you know there's there's a couple of, of ways to look at this. I mean, one of them is that you get no benefit from bending the knee because they're not going to forgive you, right? This is a bit like being pulled aside by the Soviet secret police and they're telling you to sign a confession. You get no benefit from signing the confession. So why? You know, they're going to send you to the, they're going to give you that ten year sentence. In Siberia, anyway, doesn't matter. Uh, so why, why even worry about it, right? I mean, why, why, why do what they want you to do? There's no benefit to apologizing. Once you bend the knee, they just take your head. That's the next move. So you might as well go down fighting and and keep your dignity and keep your strength. And look, it's it's going to be a continuous thing. I mean, they're not going to go away for a while with these demands. And the language is changing, and bands are changing their names. Band-Aid, I saw, has now had a, a series of, of Band-Aid lines uh, released that are more color-inclusive is what they're doing now, which, you know, I, I don't care. You can make my Band-Aid bright blue for all I care. I, I just, I don't think this really, oh, that probably looks like um, pro-police or something, right? Oh, no. Remember the hash? There was a hashtag for a while, Blue Lives Matter. You'll note that people aren't using it. I think that they're concerned that if they were to put that out there, even people in the media, they might find themselves uh, getting canceled. They might find that uh, that's that's now saying if all lives matter can get you canceled, as we know it can, Blue Lives Matter can certainly get you canceled. So just be be aware of that. Uh, That is a. A change in the discourse. Uh, and the left is ascendant right now with all this stuff. There are very few people willing to stand up against the mob and speak out against us. All right, producer Mark, fire away. We got another another voicemail roll call. Hey, Buck and Mark, it's John from Dover, Delaware. And I uh, just wanted to call in and tell you guys I love the show. And I also wanted to mention I've been a longtime listener, and uh, Mark is a great asset that has been added to the show since I've been listening. I just wanted to mention also that uh, you guys were talking about Patrick Ewing last night in basketball, and it just brought me back to those sneakers 
if you guys remember them, they were the 33 Patrick Ewing shoes. Everybody had a pair. Anyhow, man, love the show. You guys are doing a great job. Shield high. Well, thank you so much for calling in. Hey, we got a Delaware listener. Hi. I'm in Delaware. Uh, but that's great, though. No, we really appreciate it, man. And, and, you know, there was something very special. You got to remember back in the 90s, which is when I did watch and, and went to a lot of Knicks games. I mean, there was one, there were, I think, one or two years where my, my dad split. Producer Mark is going to fall over in his chair. My dad split season tickets with a buddy of his. And, you know, my older brother went to, I don't know, probably a dozen home games. I went to, I'd say, maybe three or four. Uh, but we, we used to go. I mean, we were Knicks fans back in the Patrick Ewing era. We would go to these games uh, and, you know, and eat the cold-in-the-middle hot dogs and, and stand in the, the line during the, the breaks between quarters of, like, a 1,000 people trying to get the soggiest cheese-covered French fries you could ever find. Producer Mark, what is your stadium food? Like, what is the, the dream team of stadium cuisine? See what I did there? For you. See, stadium cuisine has gotten so much better over the years. Like, especially, like, at the Mets home. I'm a Mets fan, City Field. They have, like, gourmet food. Like, I'll get a steak sandwich. I'll get a nice turkey and fresh mozzarella sandwich. And they have so many different, like, they have barbecue. They have this specialty fry place. So there's a million things I could get a baseball game now. Or any but game. what's okay? But of the classic, of the I mean, classics, if you can only get if you can only get hot dog, pretzel, popcorn, cotton candy. You, you know, know what? In the classics, at a baseball game, a sausage and pepper yeah. sandwich because you always sausage. smell it throughout the park, and you want it. That's fair. That's fair. I I did back in the day when I didn't know that I couldn't eat gluten at least, or I wasn't uh, was not yet diagnosed as a celiac. Uh, I would eat. I love a hot dog and those buns. Hot dog is great. Man. I mean, you can't go those, wrong those, in a hot dog either. Yeah. I mean, now I'd probably get the hot dog and just eat the dog and not the bun. Not you, Tallulah. You're my princess. Um, but, yeah, I think, uh, I think that would be a way to go. So, uh, okay. Uh, oh, and Patrick Ewing. I didn't, did you ever have the Patrick Ewing? Do you know what he's talking about with the shoes? I, I know about Air Jordan, certainly. They became a cultural phenomenon. I think they were a little more Ewing popular. Ewing had his own shoes, too. Yeah, they were a little more popular in New York than they were... Uh... Elsewhere, you know, the Air Jordans kind of ruled all and still do. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, we got another one. Let's do another one. Hey, Bucks. Hey, producer Mark. This is Chris from Spokane, Washington. I just want to let you know that you're not alone out there. Know that there are tons of us out there that are supporting you and appreciate what you're doing. You're an awesome voice that broadcasts across the country. I myself am a constitutionalist, and I value our rights over most anything else besides my family and my God. Keep it up. Don't give up. Be a voice of reason in this world. Thank you. Chris from Spokane, Washington. Tremendous eloquence and a very appreciated uh, high five for, for Mark and me here on the show. So thank you so much for that. Um, and uh, we, we certainly appreciate our, our Washington, our Spokane uh, affiliate putting us on the air there so people can hear us. And, and yeah, we're, we're going to continue to do what we do, even though these days, I mean, it, it feels lonely in conservative media because even if you're part of the, the very few places, uh, and look, I, I am thankful that, that I'm able to, that conservative talk radio still is influential enough and has, uh, draws enough audience, is powerful enough that you're allowed some free thought and some free expression. Um, 
you know, even at Fox, which is a a media, you know, super platform, uh, you get the sense that people are are already getting a little uh, a little worried about, you know, what they can say, what they can get away with. You know, uh, my I, I had a friend. I won't even get into it now, but you all know who I'm talking about who separated from Fox. And I, th- I think it was just the mob was demanding. I think the mob was demanding in the early days someone bend the knee and that's they made someone else bend the knee there. And I did not appreciate it at all. Uh, I did not think that that was fair. I did not think that it was just. But corporate uh, corporate mentality now is just to, to protect profits and not to be free speech platforms. And that that has ramifications all across the media. It really does. And it's uh, it's a tough time to be in the truth business. It's an easy time to be in the whose streets are streets occupy Wall Street business. It's easy to be a leftist agitator and to go along with this and to try and do the most, you know, over the top version of of the the mourning that some of these news anchors have been going through over uh, George Floyd. And, and, you know, you had uh, Frey, the mayor in Minneapolis, crying profusely. Frey was acting like he just lost his mom or dad. That's what he was doing. And if he had lost his mom or dad, I would totally understand it. And there's nothing about it that other than other than sympathy that I would have. He didn't even know this guy. And you're allowed to say that something is unjust and something is wrong without going into these performative theatrics about it. But this is where this is where we are now. People recognize that there is advantage in this movement at this moment, and they're trying to take advantage of it. Producer Mark, what else we got? Hi, this is Christy from Austin, Texas. I'm listening to you on KLBJ. We would love to have you in Austin. We get plenty of imports from parts of the country, and and they are going to vote liberal. We need more voices like you here. You're in the top of talk radio show host. I mean, you're right up there. So good. So enjoyable. Please come to Austin. Well, thank you so much, Christy, from KLBJ Austin. And we really appreciate that affiliation. It would be on such a, a great heritage radio station in Texas. Is uh, That was a, a real milestone for us on the show and they've stuck with us, and we've, we've had a really strong audience there. So that means a lot. And see, Producer Mark, I think Austin's back in play, my friend, for the mobile freedom. I'm not saying Florida doesn't still have a little bit of an edge right now, but we, now we got people that are telling us Austin would be good for us. Yes, there was exactly one person who said that. Well, that's one more than we had yesterday. You're so right. I'll just, I'll just say it. Austin, my, you know, my older brother has spent a lot of time there. He says... He loves it. He says it's got great food, great people. It's just lots of cool stuff going on. It's a really, uh, it's a really high quality of life. So now, granted, our friend, uh, you know, our friend John Cardillo or our friend Dan Bongino, you know, they would all be like, uh, "Florida's got that too, buddy." And you know, so look, Florida or Texas, who knows how it's gonna be? It's a battle for the ages. But at least we got a voice in for Austin, Texas, telling us that we would be welcome down there. Thank you so much, Christy. Really appreciate you calling in. It's a very kind, and, and God bless. Keep listening to the show, please. Uh, do we have another one, Mark, or is that it for our voicemail? Uh, we've, we have plenty, yeah. All right, hit it. Let's go. Hey, producer Mark and Buck. This is Star from California, and 
I just need to know how can I discuss white privilege with somebody in their 20s who I blew up yesterday at trying to get into dis- a discussion about it. And I, I need to be able to not get so crazy and just, just kind of give them the facts. So I would appreciate it. Thanks. Love the show. Love your hair, Buck. Bye. Well, thank you, Star. Love that you say love the hair, which now at this point, it's, I'm trying to, I was able to tame it by getting the Snow Princess to cut it for a little while, but now it's reached that point where I probably need to bring in the professionals. You know, it's getting a little out of hand. Uh, but I, I will say on the, on the point about how to discuss white privilege, uh, you know, look, it's, there's no easy way, and I would say that you start from the premise, start from basic moral truths. Uh, start from that you only have responsibility and you, you only have culpability for that which you had the ability to affect for what you do um, for your decision making. Your existence is not a, uh, you know, we're, we're not going to allow for this to turn into a, a new form of, of original sin being born white. Uh, so to apologize for something that's out of your control is inherently uh, someone forcing upon you a, a, something that is not demanded by morality and clear thinking. Uh, this, is just, this is a political movement. And I, I think that white privilege, you also would have to ask. I mean, there's so many. Look, there's a very broad-based discussion you could have about this. But with white privilege, you'd also want to ask why... Uh, in a country where Asian American households have substantially more wealth on average than than white American households do, how powerful really is white privilege? Uh, is there Asian American privilege? If not, why not? And, you know, the, the more you look at the facts and the data, the harder it is to sustain this uh, rhetoric of systemic oppression um, and and to assume that there's always an external there's always an external enemy here. There's always an external force that is preventing, in this case, uh, the African American community from, in the aggregate, achieving whether it's you know educational uh, parity, uh, look at testing scores over over decades. It's there's there's never allowed to be a conversation about. Uh, family and the breakdown of the family, particularly in urban centers. That's not, no. It's always there is this external force, uh, whiteness, that is working against and holding down the aspirations of the African-American community. And even if that is true in part, it cannot be the entire truth, but is the only part of the conversation that we're allowed to have. And that's why I think this, uh, this narrative of white privilege is, is just damaging to everybody. Because it's never had with uh, it's never had with open minds and with honesty as the central premise. It's about politics and about control. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. All right, we continue on with our. This is fun. I like this, Bruce Mark. Come on, I know you got to spend a lot of time listening to voice messages now, but it's nice that we have the team's voices added to the show in this way. Yes, it's very nice. If we could hire yes, an intern to get the messages from now on, though, that'd be great. Would you trust an intern to sift through uh, some no. of the ones that are a little too spicy? I really wouldn't trust anyone but myself. I think that's with a, almost that's anything. A good, I think that's a good rule to have. Yeah, I feel that way about a lot of things too. But now I trust you, so it's like me, you, and you know. My, my parents, my siblings. 
Uh, you, um, you, let's get I'm going to give next... you a chance to add one more person to that. Snow Princess. Yep. Good man. Thank you. Now I'm not sleeping on the couch this weekend. All right. Give me the uh, voicemail. What do you got? Hey, Buck. This is Lowell from uh, Metro Detroit. just have a question. Every time local and state governments want to try to impose higher taxes, the first thing they pull out of their quiver is, well, if you don't agree to this, we're going to have to cut, cut police and fire protection. Now they're using that as, as now a good thing. They, they threaten us with it as a bad thing in order to get us to give them more money, but now they're trying to convince us it's a good thing. It, it, it makes no sense, and I'm kind of curious as to what you think this is going to look like when ballot box time comes. Shield tie. Thank you for calling in from Detroit. Uh, so your question seems to be that usually they threaten us with, if if you don't do what we want with uh, municipal funding, this is the fireman first model. That's how people will refer to it. We're going to cut the fire departments and your buildings will burn down. And that's just the way it's going to be. And usually that's a very effective, if, if very coercive political uh, position. Now they're saying we're going to defund police. Uh, so you're, you're pointing out, isn't this isn't this contradictory? The answer is yes, um, which is why they're not going to really defund police. What they'll do is take some police funds and redistribute it to community organizers and other either social welfare or just general welfare uh, programs throughout the throughout cities. And but they're not going to defund police because they recognize that that would be catastrophic. So they'll keep saying it, but it won't really happen. And maybe one or two cities will go crazy enough that they'll they'll do it. But those one or two cities are going to become <laughs> the canaries in the coal mine that die very quickly in the cage, so to speak. I mean, they're they're going to people are going to see what happens in those cities and say, uh, we don't want to do that. So, no, you will not have defunding, and, and, and ultimately, the most essential city services are still something that politically will have to be funded by anybody who wants to remain in power, but might not be funded at the same level and won't be as effective. So that will, and, and then it'll just be a question of whether they can, from the narrative perspective, keep people from understanding who's really responsible for that. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, producer Mark, let's get into the other version of Roll Call now. Let's get into our inbox. Hit that funky music. Hey, Team Buck, it's time for Roll Call. for roll call everybody there we go facebook.com slash buck sexton if you want to use facebook to send us messages team buck at iheartmedia.com if you want to do email kick it old school or 844-900-BUCK 844-900-2825 there is nothing producer mark enjoys more than staying up late at night to listen to the hundreds and hundreds of voicemails that are coming in during the week so right yes it's my greatest joy in life now yeah, producer Mark, he, do, he doesn't want he doesn't want to watch a classic hockey match on the Classic Sports Network or or any no no he wants to listen to voicemails. Trust me. So send in as many as you can. He loves it. Eight four four nine hundred buck is the number, and let's get to it with. Uh, now we already had the voicemails. Let's do uh, some written roll call. Kelly kicks us off here. Buck, my nineteen year old granddaughter recently came to live with us and attend college. We live about an hour from Seattle. 
One of her friends invited her to attend the Seattle protest with her, and my granddaughter told her no. She said she wasn't comfortable being in the middle of a mob of people like that. The friend responded, are you racist? I told my granddaughter I thought it was despicable for her, uh, for her friend to respond that way. I think it is very normal behavior for her age group. I find it very disturbing. Kelly, uh, thank you so much for writing in. And yes, I, I, you're correct. It is unfortunately far too normal now. The response that you'll get from people if you don't want to be an activist on the street, which let's just put aside for a moment whether the cause, who even knows what the cause is right now, the cause is whatever it is on any given day, the left feels like pretending it is. But let's assume for a moment that you agree with the cause. It doesn't make you a bad person if you don't want to walk on the streets in a mob of people who are very possibly going to turn violent, who are very possibly going to be a threat to the people around them, might get hit with, you know, pepper spray or tear gas or, you know, because if they start a riot situation with the cops, it doesn't make you a bad person. Also, doesn't make you a bad person to think that you just don't want to go for this march because you think it's not going to do anything and it's kind of a waste of time. So you could even believe all of the anti-racism uh, rhetoric that's out there right now in terms of what the movement's trying to accomplish, right? You, you could be on board for all of the politics of this. And you would still be completely within your rights to say, but I'm not going to go march over this. There are other ways that people can take action. So your daughter's, um, I'm sorry, your granddaughter's friend is way out of line, but unfortunately that's very common these days. People don't think for themselves they, they want that mob appreciation. They want people to uh, just do what they say because they're doing what they're told. So if you don't do what you're told by the mob as well, that inherently makes people insecure who are just listening to the dictates of the mob and going along with it. You have to remember that, too. Uh, so, yes, indeed. Uh, it is despicable, the behavior you're describing. I can't say it's surprising. And also, Kelly, you, pro you might be thinking, well, Buck, do you have any way I could tell my granddaughter how to convince her. No, her friend is is gone to the loony bin already of the left. There's no way to there, it's, you can't reason with somebody if they really think that it's racist to not march in a protest that could be violent and be a danger. You're not going to be able to reach them with with reason, with facts, with logic. It's just not going to happen. Uh, Joel writes in, listen, I know this will probably keep from getting this read on air, but producer Mark is a little wrong on this one. Ah, no, it's not going to keep. Producer Mark's an honest man. Yeah. He's an honest man. Occasionally a little grumpy, but very honest. I put it there at yes, principle. It's right. Now, see, he puts it on air at a principle. He says, yes, it's called gravy, but nowhere near to the extent Producer Mark made it sound like it was. The sauce gravy debate is one of the most contentious arguments among not only Italian Americans, but Italian Italians. There are only a couple of areas that call it gravy. New York City, New Jersey and maybe Chicago. Everywhere else calls it sauce. But being New York City as well, New York City gets a disproportional representation in the grand scheme of things. Once you leave the downstate enclave, it ceases to be gravy. I grew up in central New York, and I'm full-blooded full Italian and Sicilian and grew up with many, 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 many Italians and Sicilians. I never once heard sauce called gravy until, I think, I saw The Sopranos Shields high. I, I cede my time to producer Mark. What say you in response to Joel calling you out here for calling it gravy? Well, first of all, what accent were you just doing? I think you just did Governor Cuomo for that entire <laughs> message. So I'm just confused. I'm, I'm thrown off by that. 
besides the point, yes, uh, I will. I mean, gravy is a common term in the Northeast. I don't know about the rest of the country, but in TV shows and uh, Italian restaurants, you see it called gravy. And all the Italians I know call it gravy. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get a final ruling from the judges here. Snow Princess, do we call it? Is it called gravy? Is this a thing? Uh, Snow Princess says roll call person is correct on this one. So I'm just. I'm just putting I that think, out there. Uh, Snow got, Princess I, and I are having our first disagreement. Producer Mark is sad that you're having your first disagreement with him about things. So there, there you have it. I'm just. I'm just gonna say there you have it. Oh, you know, Snow Princess is actually Italian. This is something that has not come up before. Oh, that's so fair. She's, All right. She's, pull, she's pulling the Italian card because she is Italian, she can, so there's that. I'll give the matzo ball opinion. She can give the gravy opinion, the, I guess. Producer Mark, is, he says he's our matzo ball expert, and you get to be the gravy slash uh, pasta expert. So, yep. Yeah, she says stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. All right. All right. We, we, we've, we've, come, we've come to a consensus here. And, uh, and Producer Nick is, is weighing it, too. But, Producer Mark, we give you... Uh, wait, producer Nick says it's only enclaves in the Northeast. It's called gravy. I will say this, uh, producer Mark, you're you're a an honorable man for putting Joel's roll call in the mix here, though. Oh, I, when I like you, when like, you bait me, he knew how to get on. If you're going to call me out. That's, of actually, that's right. It's great yeah. reverse psychology. Producer Mark would never put this on the show. And sure enough, heard across the country, coast to coast. Dave, next up here. Yo, Buck. I really look forward to your show daily. Wanted to touch base a month or so ago when you sounded uncharacteristically melancholy about the shutdown and ensuing isolation. Now that the Fauci hoax has been revealed, I have seen your wonderful cynicism back and your wry sense of humor is at its zenith. Your Cuomo impersonation sends me into paroxysms of laughter every time you do it. Here in the state of communist California, we Hollywood know there's a pandemic. If it were not for all the obedient poodles wearing masks and the myriad social distancing signs and the peaceful riots here confirm there's no crisis here. Our phalanx is strong. Our shields are high. All right, Dave. Thank you so much. Producer Cuomo stepped in here to read. I'm sorry. <laughs> Governor Cuomo, producer Mark. Governor Cuomo stepped in to read that one for you. And yeah, look, I was I was in a really bad, bad scene here. I mean, I was feeling like I wasn't going to get to see my family or, or, or my uh, close friends for months and months. Because you got to remember, we were being told. Think of all the things that happen here. The Javits Center I can walk to from my apartment in probably 10 or 15 minutes was set up as a multi thousand person hospital for covid patients. And they didn't even have to use it. I, I saw in real time as a hospital ship floated past my window because we were going to be so overwhelmed with COVID patients that at first they wanted them to be non-COVID patients on the hospital ship, and then they said they needed to be COVID patients. We were told that this place was going to end up being completely overrun, and we were going to have far more hospitalizations. I mean, at one point they were claiming that we're going to have 120,000 hospitalizations at the peak. Think about that at one time. It ended up being, uh, uh, I think, 15,000 or 20,000. or so. I mean, it was a fraction. Maybe it was 30,000 at the height, a fraction of what was said to be the peak. So, yeah, man, things were things were scarier. This was the worst place for COVID by far. Uh, New York City has had more COVID deaths than all but five countries. And New York's not even the biggest state. So, yeah, we got hit by this very, very hard. And, and it, it was tough, man. We were like. Uh, people were thinking the city was going to be done forever and that there was never going to be an economic comeback. And 
Now, fortunately, the experts were wrong, and the politicization of this has become more apparent. But yeah, Dave, it was rough, but the Buckster is back for sure, and I'm glad you see that, and we are, we are rocking here in the Freedom Hut. Mike, next up here. Mike, hey, Buck, there's a story floating around the Internet about how Trump wants to unveil police reform policies that he would sign into law. Should Trump do that, would that be a wise political move? I guess it depends what happens, but my guess is that wouldn't be enough no matter what it is. Trump should not pander to that crowd who will never vote for him anyway. Uh, Mike, your assessment here. Yes, I've, I've also seen I've also seen that same news story. Your assessment here is correct uh, about how Trump will never remember. Trump did this White House did the first step back. They already took action without there being this huge, uh, you know, upsurge in interest around criminal justice and and race relations and all the rest of it. They already did the First Step Act, which was more on a legislative basis, more than was ever achieved during the Obama years. Has the president received any real any real uh, political benefit for this? I mean, I think he would have done it anyway because he believed it was the right thing to do. But there hasn't been any increase in good faith as a result of the First Step Act. There hasn't been any sense that uh, this was that the president has benefited from this politically. That's that's just not the case. So, yeah, you're asking me if Senate Republicans push some bill forward uh, and, and, and obviously the Democrats in the House sign on to it, too. Um, w- would Trump be right to sign it? I would say, sure, but, you know, fine, but it's not really going to do anything. Maybe it'll make some minor changes to police uh, to police procedure that uh, m- maybe are good. But it's not going to change the problem. I mean, it's, it's going to be it's, it's very similar to uh, well, it's not similar in the, in, to the gun control argument in that I think that a lot of the gun control rules that are proposed would not do anything to actually prevent bad people from using guns in the commission of crimes. But a lot of the gun control argument turns into what are what are relatively minor changes to the Second Amendment at a federal level. But we understand that the incrementalism of the left is meant to continuously erode Second Amendment rights. And that's why there's always this huge pushback, even over the more minor issues. Um, This is a a, this will be minor changes from a legislative perspective. Democrats will claim victory on it. It'll energize the Democrat base and Trump will get no political upside from it. The only thing you can say is it takes away a talking point of continued criticism against Trump. I, I don't think that that's really I don't think it's going to be that valuable, but I do think that Trump will sign it. And I think that this White House has always had an interest, as evidenced by the First Step Act, an interest in trying to take uh, action that is just in their view going to be pushing for a more just, uh, more just law enforcement. And, and particularly on the on the incarceration side of things, not unduly penalizing and punishing people. So. Yes, I think your analysis on this is correct, and I don't think that Trump will get any real benefit, but I do think that he will sign changes to police procedure from the federal level if they come to his desk. I do think he will. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. All right, got to close out the show strong here with the best roll call ever, and that's what we're always doing, the best roll call we could ever find. So I want to remind everybody, go to BuckSexton.com. We post stories there throughout the day. And also subscribe to my YouTube channel. We're having some trouble with YouTube uh, pulling stuff on us, but we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll find a way around the, the lib censors that run that platform. 
because we're not doing anything wrong. I don't know. They just conservatism is wrong. But if liberalism is right, I don't want to be right or I don't know. You know, you know what I'm saying? Uh, so we're, please do go to BuckSexton.com and also uh, make sure if you're not already, follow me on Instagram, BuckSexton. There you go. Uh, let's see. Mark, not to be confused with producer Mark. Producer Mark, come on, man. Are you seriously thinking about letting Buck move to Delray Beach? You have a hard enough time getting him behind the microphone on time living in shutdown NYC in a 700-square-foot apartment. Buck will, by the way, it's more like 650. Buck will never show up if he's got access to a beach 10 months a year. That is unless, of course, you all post up and do the show right from the beach. In all seriousness, get out of NYC as soon as you can. Mark, your uh, producer Mark, your friend Mark, is making some, some sense here. I mean, but I feel like once we're out of lockdown and we actually have to go back to a studio, no matter what, I'm never going to get you to studio on time. doesn't matter where that we are. That may be true. So at least once we're done starting the show late, then we'll still be near a beach. I think that's your... Exactly. That would be your position. See, my, the, yeah. if we're near a beach, what I can say is, Buck, the quicker that you get done with the show and the quicker you get here, the quicker you can get on the beach. Good point. Good point. Yeah. Yes. Delray Beach. Might be an interesting place to, uh, to go check out. Uh, Chris writes, why does it seem like all the people calling for defunding the police are the same ones that need sta- safe spaces from words in college? Shields high. Chris, because there is a huge crossover. This is the woke left. That is what the woke left believes, that words they don't like equals violence, that censorship is, is desirable, is necessary, is moral of ideas that, that bother them. Uh, And this comes right from college campuses. Many of us have been warning about this for a long time. It's gone from the college campuses, and now it is in society uh, to a widespread enough degree. And the people are old enough. You know, they're in their, you know, there's this generation of like 25 to 35 year old woke, uh, you know, uh, woke fundamentalists, if you will. And they can exercise enough authority in institutions that are that are large and powerful that we're now all seeing the results of this, where if you're not woke enough, you can lose your job and bad things happen. Angela. Hey, Buck, I discovered your podcast about six months ago, six months ago. And now every day at work, I go into my lab, close the door, put my headphones on and consume all of the insightful information and views you share. My question is, do you think that the local Democrat leaders in all these cities that have been severely looted and damaged have pushed a lot more people to vote for Republicans after seeing the Dems have no interest in protecting them or their businesses. Shields high. Well, Angela, it's great to be able to keep you company in the lab. So thank you so much for being a part of Team Buck. We are humbled and we are honored by it. Um, I do not think that this will come back to hurt Democrats. Joe Biden was well advised enough to not say he would defund the police and they will memory hold this whole thing and they'll pretend that it never they'll gaslight us in the fall and be like, what? We never said defund the police. And all they have to do is convince one or two percent of the population about this. Uh, Robert writes, love the show. OSS member, you and producer Mark do an awesome job. I love his interjections. He needs to get a Twitter handle. Keep up the awesome work. Producer Mark, do you have a Twitter handle? I do. It's at producer, at producer Mark NYC. At producer Mark NYC, everybody. There you go. Have a great weekend, my friends. Looking forward to chatting with you on Monday. Please spread the word about the show. Pass the buck. Tell somebody in your life to download on Spotify, the iHeart app or Apple podcast, The Buck Sexton Show. I'll talk to you Monday. Shields high.